Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our um, teleconference number five with Greg Nathan. Well, I'd just like to run through a little bit of homework with you, a little bit of housekeeping before we do get started. Um, number one is, um, if you're on the line, can you hit star six just so we don't get any background interference because we are recording this teleconference. And in fact, you'll have access to it later if you want to run through and take any extra notes or check on any elements that you, you might have missed and, uh, and so forth. So, um, having said that, what I'd like to do is uh, basically you know, thank you all for coming along to today's teleconference, which is entitled Helping Franchisors and Franchisees Create Profitable Partnerships. And today we've got no one other than, I think, the, uh, the expert, in fact, I'd say the, the authority in that field, not just in Australia, but, but uh, probably internationally as well. And uh, pretty privileged to have Greg Nathan joining us. He's the founder of Franchise Relationships and uh, been active in the franchise field for, uh, for many years. The Franchise Relationship Institute has been going for a couple of decades and I've certainly known Greg for probably the best part of that time. Um, what I'd like to do is just uh, lead in perhaps to ask Greg to give us a little bit of his background, a little bit of a bring people up to speed who are not familiar with him and uh, the reason that I'm so thrilled to have him here today. Hmm. Thanks, Brian. That's Pleasure. very kind of you to, to invite me on. Um, look, I've been involved in franchising for probably over, uh, well over 30 years and um, for the last 22 years I've uh, been working more as an advisor and an educator to the franchising sector um, and that came about through, I was originally a franchisee with the Brumbies Bakery Group and I later on worked with Brumbies uh, as part of the management team and during my time as both a franchisee and a franchisor the biggest challenge we, we continually faced was you know the relationship stresses and strains on how we're going to work together and um, I, I couldn't find at the time any, anybody that could help me to understand the nature of the franchise relationship and how it could work effectively in practice. So it was 22 years ago um, that I set out on my own on a bit of a journey to seek out research and, and some answers to this and that's what, and I'm still on that journey actually, <laughs> certainly not haven't arrived but I, I'm pleased to say we've found out some amazing things over the years. I think we've unlocked the key to healthy franchise relationships um, in many areas and, and you know for small franchise systems and large franchise systems. And, um, and so that's what I'm passionate about and, uh, and hopefully we can share a few of those keys in our discussion. Yep, and over, the, over that period of years you've built up quite a large team there at your Franchise Relationships Institute, haven't you? Mm. Uh, well, not a huge team, but we've got to, we've, there's, there's around 10 of us mm. and we like to, to think of ourselves as a lean, mean team of high calibre people. Um, we've got about half the team of psychologists and uh, who bring, including myself, who bring that sort of, in, in psychology we talk about a, a scientist practitioner. It's somebody who takes a scientific approach to their work but also makes, makes sure that it's very practical. And so we have half the team doing research and really trying to find out the practical implications of uh, our research and then the other half of the team are consultants and educators <laughs> who are 
really more expert at um, you know teaching and learning and facilitation. Excellent. I might just interrupt there for any other uh, guests online that have joined us in the meantime. Uh, apart from Greg, can everyone just hit star six? Uh, it eliminates a bit of background noise so everybody hears better and improves the quality of the recording. So if you can all hit star six, it won't interfere with your hearing, apart from the fact that you'll miss any background noise, which tends to be picked up quite easily by uh, by the phone otherwise. Mm. All right, well, thanks for giving us that background, um, Greg. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's probably worth mentioning as well that you do a lot of lecturing. You, you travel internationally quite extensively. So you, you're not just looking at the Australian scene, I suppose, from the point of view no, of franchising. No, it's, 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 uh, we try and take a global perspective. Look, each, each uh, market is slightly different, but people are people. You know, humans are humans. And a lot of the issues that come up between people are similar, you know, whether you're in Asia or America or, you know, Australia. Mm. But is it fair to say, whilst we all, we hear, always hear this about businesses, every business is different, and so is every individual, but there are patterns and sort of uh, programs which are, we tend to follow. Absolutely, and even when you talk about um, businesses, a franchisee who's very successful in, in one particular could be, you know, like a retail food concept, um, I, I reckon I could take that person and plop them into a, a different type of franchise business and providing they wanted to be there, they would, they would make a success of it. So the attributes for success um, can be transferred across, between, you know, across businesses. It's interesting you mentioned a little key expression there, providing they want to be there. Yeah, that's right. It is having that commitment and that real passion for what you're doing, isn't it, rather than just being out there to, to basically perhaps uh, earn a dollar and make as much money as you can very yeah, quickly and, and get out. Maybe th this is a good launch pad to, to slip into some, some um, content about what we've discovered mm. recently. Please do. Um, we, we've just done a study of, uh, we've, we've got uh, 2,000 franchisees who have participated in the study and we've got in-depth information about what drives these people, their attitudes, their values, their, their, their satisfaction levels, um, their skill levels, their age, everything. And uh, what we've discovered is the thing, the biggest differentiator between the high achievers and, and these are people who are not only achieving good financial returns, but they're enjoying being part of the franchise network, they're fitting in well with their colleagues and their, their franchise systems. These people um, are significantly higher on what we call brand passion. Now, brand passion is um, a des like a pride of um, belonging to the brand, an enjoyment of uh, working in that particular industry, and um, you know, a sort of an attitude that the brand is a good fit for me. So, people who have this sense of pride, this sense of comfort with the particular industry, you know, as you were saying, Brian, they want to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, these people are performing better. So uh, that, that, that sense of commitment and pride is extremely important. And what we find is people who just want to buy a business because oh, I've looked at the numbers and this one seems to stack up reasonably well, uh, those people just tend to be missing out on squeezing you know, the opportunities and the value from, from the business. They're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. I think the, the, the profits and the finances come as a result of focusing on the right things, and that's things like motivating your team, you know, delivering superb service to the customers. These are the things that, that, that count. It, it's really, it's, I suppose, the, the, the well-known expression of raving fans from the point of view of customers, what you're doing is sort of extrapolating that up 
to the point of view of team members, franchisees and their employees, I guess. Yeah, and so this brand passion, if the franchisee has it, uh, they're able to then transfer that onto their team. And, uh, and it's the team, this is assuming they're employing staff, some franchisees do work alone, you know, like doing service sort of work in vans and careers and so on. But assuming they've got a team, uh, the, the passion rubs off onto the team, the yep. team deliver the service to the customer, and then the customer becomes an advocate, and we get this virtuous cycle that. of yeah. growth. Mm. I spent a bit of time with one of my mentors, Paul Dunn, and uh, he's, he, he practices what he calls the wow factor, and he's been been very heavily involved with that with TEDx and so forth for years but he introduced me to a chap by the name of Simon Sinek I don't know if you've ever seen him but um, and the emphasis there is on the why you know in order to start getting all your formula together and start to get this brand passion you need to understand the why of where you're there and that's what gives you the, the motivation the pride and the, and, and, and the that other key word is the comfort actually the fact you sort of fit yeah, I feel, yeah, and I call it the, the barbecue chat test. I mean, if you're at a barbecue and someone says, ask you what you do, when you're explaining to them about your business and what you do, it's this sense of natural pride and enthusiasm that comes across. Yeah. It's not just a matter of wrapping off the elevator, the elevator no. sort of... Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. And you know, when you talk to someone who, who is passionate about their business... Oh, hello. Oh. Excuse me, just an interruption for any new members that have joined us online. If you can just all hit star six, um, if you haven't already done so, because by doing it a second time you get back onto an open line. So just so we don't get background noise and interference for the, for the quality of the call and the recording. So anyone that's joined us in the meantime that hasn't done, just star six. You won't miss anything, and that way you'll, uh, you'll get the full benefit. The music was good. It was. It's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we were just saying that um, when you've got that natural enthusiasm, um, it, it, it is contagious mm. and I think that the test would be after you've told someone what you do, w would that person think to themselves, gee that sounds great, I'd, you know it sounds like something I'd like to do or, or if, it, if, it's, if you're selling something that they could use, would their natural next step be, gee I'd like to um, do business with you. Yeah, mm. mm. yeah. Yeah, no, that that, uh, that that connect with that completely, and I'm sure a lot of people on the line do as well. So, so from the point of view of the the, the core of what you do really is that franchise relationship. Mm. How important is that in terms of building a successful business? Uh, well, it really all starts there. Uh, we we have this thing called the uh, franchise or wheel of excellence, and it's got five pieces. Um, and the first piece is a, is about recruiting quality franchisees. But when you think about recruiting franchisees, I think another way of looking at it is you are entering into a relationship with, with the franchisee and that relationship hopefully will last for around about six to ten years. Mm. So the relationship becomes the, the crux of everything. And it's not like you sell the franchise and you move on to sell another one. Like, you know, if you sold a house or a car, and this is the, this is the faulty thinking that some franchisors have. They don't get that they're actually not just selling the right to something, they're entering, entering into this long-term interdependent relationship. And if the relationship's going well and people are glad that, you know, that they're part of the group and they're sharing good ideas with each other and, you know, behaving as good 
fran- you know, franchise citizens, uh, everyone's going to benefit and grow. But if the relationship gets off on the wrong track and people are disappointed or disillusioned and get angry, then it's downhill from then on and it's very difficult for people to make money, both the franchisor and the franchisee, because we spend a lot of our energy and time arguing and pr- trying to prove each other right or wrong rather than trying to deliver better customer service to the end users of, of you know, the product or service. So the relationship's absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I suppose I will be raising inevitably at some stage through here the e factor, but maybe whether that's appropriate now, I'm better off to go into a bit more of your definition of the franchise. Yeah, because to me, that's something I refer to frequently because it, it just summarises the whole, I suppose the whole, uh, the whole sort of conundrum very, very easy and very simply. People understand it, and uh, they can relate it to. Whether it's employees or their personal lives, or, 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 or children, marriages, friends, joining sports clubs—that yeah. that same graph sort of literally applies everywhere, doesn't well, it? Well, let's explain what what it's all about. Yeah. And, and as I as I explain it to to the, the people on the call, uh, they'll understand why it's called the franchisee factor. So um, imagine you know we're we're on a journey. And uh, like a roller coaster, and you start off on the roller coaster very high up, and uh, we call this the glee stage uh, because our satisfaction is very high. And this is because, you know, at the start of the relationship, you know, people have got hopes and dreams and aspirations. And if you think about entering into any new relationship where you, you hope to achieve something, you know, uh, for yourself and for the partner you're with, there's there's often a lot of positive energy there. So, as you said, Brian, it could be a marriage or it could be even a business partnership or, in our case, a franchise relationship. Now, a few months down the track, the franchisee is going to be in the business and going to be facing challenges and and problems that they hadn't anticipated. They may have had the theory about it, you know, you, you deal with a difficult customer, but when you actually face one, and you have a person screaming at you or demanding their money back or whatever happens with customers, it can sometimes, you know, take the shine off it. And then, you know, you've got the long hours and the learning curve. So it's like the reality is hit. Mm. And um, the franchisee will be asking themselves, what value am I getting in return for the royalty fees that I'm paying to my franchisor? because most franchise systems have a royalty and it can range anything from 3% up to 30% in some cases, depending on the business model. So um, any good business person asks, what value do I get for the money I pay? And so will the franchisee. And we call that the fee stage. And as they move into the fee stage, if we imagine again this roller coaster, they're going down the roller coaster in terms of their satisfaction. And um, it could be any, anywhere between 6 and 12 months down the track. The business might be going okay. The franchisee then says um, to themselves, why is this business working? And the conclusion, if it's going well, they will come to the conclusion that it's because of me, you know, as the franchisee, my hard work, my commitment, the way I manage my customers and so on. If it's not going well, they will come to the conclusion that it's you, the franchisor's fault. And uh, in psychology, we call this the self-serving bias. We all do it in life. Mm. When things go well, we say, aren't I great? Aren't I a hero? 
And when things don't go well, we look to blame somebody else. Yep. And uh, there's a profession that actually um, survives on this tendency. It's called the legal profession. <laughs> and, um, you know, at, look, lawyers do great work in terms of, you know, commercial advice and protecting uh, their clients from risk and so on, but I think sometimes um, the lawyers can turn us into victims. That adversarial sort of approach. Well, it's like, you know, yeah. something, something bad is happening in your life, you come to me and I, I will fight for you. Mm. But it can turn you into a victim. So mm. if people are unhappy um, and they start blaming other people, it's not really a good place to be. Um, I think we need to take responsibility for, for the decisions we, we make in life and then take some actions to make things better. But when the franchisee is in that me stage, they do start to feel a little bit like a victim, and it's like, well, you know, I'm doing all the work here, and what's my franchisor doing for me? And it's a very egotistical sort of way of thinking. And again, the satisfaction will continue to drop down. Um, eventually, we, we find it, it can be anywhere between, you know, uh, normally it's one to, one to three years, the franchisee knows pretty much everything about that business by now because they've been doing it day in, day out, so their operational competence is very high. And it's at that point they will start to ask questions about how could I improve or innovate or make changes to the franchise system to make it easier or better for me. And uh, they, they will tend to maybe cut corners or try new things out because they're bored and we call this the free stage. You understand why I call it the free stage? Yep, absolutely. Because they're breaking free. Yep, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're ready to. Yep. You know, uh, when when you run this, I'll give you an analogy of my first experience as a franchisee because it dovetails in sure. exactly unknowingly, unwittingly yeah. at the time to what you're describing. Yep. So it's uh, yep. still got the free stage, the free. and we're, yep. we're sort of saying, "Oh, look, I know better. Or I don't have to do this." And it's at that point where the conflict's likely to 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 sort of hit maximum and you're going to have people butting heads and, and so on. And this is the opportunity because it's at this point that the franchisor and the franchisee need to sit down and renegotiate their relationship and renegotiate expectations of what we expect from each other. And if that conversation goes well, and I think if people do it with respect and with the right intention, we get a breakthrough. And at that point, the, the satisfaction starts to rise again. So imagine our roller coaster, we've gone right down into the dip and we're starting to come back up again. And we call this the C stage. Now C, because I can see your point of view and because you've taken the time to see my point of view. And when we have these conversations where people are really listening to each other, you get breakthroughs and you get respect and renewed enthusiasm. We see it in marriages, you know, like, Marriage, marriage counsellors will be sitting and trying to get the couple to talk to each other and listen to each other and make some, you know, some uh, concessions here and there where their behaviour may not be helping the relationship. And finally, we, we move into what we call the we stage, where both parties are committed, recommitted to the relationship, and uh, but with a more realistic expectation of what they need to give and get from that relationship. Now, the relationship will never go up to the, the sort of the rose-coloured glasses, romantic, isn't this fantastic, but it'll normally stabilise at a realistic level of, this is pretty good. I'm better being in the group than not being in the group, and I'm happy to compromise here and there, you know, for the sake of, of peace, 
feast for everybody. Yeah, that's right. I won't go out to the pub two nights a week. I only go out one night, and that keeps <laughs> us all happy watching the telly together. Yeah, <laughs> that might be. You know, the franchisee says, "Look, all right, well, look, I do agree to attend the monthly meetings that I'm supposed to attend." Or I, I do agree to um, giving you my financial information, which I said I would, but I haven't been doing it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Or the franchisor says, okay, I agree to improve responsiveness uh, to your phone calls or to your emails. Yeah, yes. Um, is it appropriate for me to just give my little analogy? Sure, but, but yeah. just to recap, yes, people can good. understand now why we call it the franchise E factor, because we've got... The, the glee, the, the fee, the me, the free, the C and the we stage. Exactly. So I, it was about 30 years ago I joined um, a new emerging franchise group in Perth called Bedshed, rather like Captain Sue's. And uh, I was one of the first four or five franchisees and I'd come from a background in the building industry and professional background and uh, basically thought it was absolutely marvellous and got my first outlet. And uh, after a period of time, we had regular meetings every month, but the franchisor didn't really understand anything about relationships. It was very much a high D if you look at a disc profile. Mm. All he was interested in doing was an entrepreneur and growing it. And in fact, he was a property developer and used to have the premises and rent to us. Um, so what happened was, um, after a period of time, there were mumblings within the group. And it was in that sort of six or eight month period, I guess, where people saying, gee, what does he what does he do what does he do for the money? You know, we're paying him these fees that all go straight to the bottom line. Mm. And uh, what basically happened was that we 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 had a we had our mumblings and they grew and we, we actually registered some business names ready to start our own group. So we got quite way down the track. But then um, we started networking amongst each other and sharing ideas and very quickly actually, without any I suppose encouragement from the franchise or really, because he was very ha hands off we ended up very quickly in that sort of we stage because we were actually developing the systems and growing the business um, for our own interests and because we were all entrepreneurial, mm. it brought us together. And that, that to me still remains one of the lesser publicised but biggest benefits of franchising is that you get that creative franchisee sort of entrepreneurship mm. which helps to drive the whole business and uh, can help the franchisor enormously in, in, in improving and growing the business because then he knows he's providing what people want. They, they've got ownership of the yeah, ideas. Right. Yeah. There's got to be some good listening going on. It is. And look, that's the biggest thing for all of us, but particularly if, you, you know, if you're a business owner and a business driver, you want to get out there and grow it, sometimes stopping to listen to people is a, is a challenge, isn't it? How, mm. how do you suggest people sort of uh, d discipline themselves and overcome that one, Greg? Yeah, I think just learning the value of asking good, <clears throat> open-ended questions and um, paying attention to the responses. We have this little thing called WAIT, W-A-I-T, why am I talking? Mm. I think another one is to ask yourself the question, if you are babbling on, why, why am I talking? <laughs> am I just filling in the silence? Yeah. Or do I like the sound of my own voice? Or what's the purpose here? What am I achieving? Mm. And mm. often we'll achieve far more by listening to the other person and what they want, particularly if we've got, got a responsibility to help someone or support them. Yeah. We don't listen to what they're saying, what they need from us, we're going to miss the mark. Yeah, it's telling rather than listening, it doesn't mm. work. I, I know I get quite enthusiastic about things and Pro often pulls me up, my wife, and says, just, just hold on, it's your enthusiasm and your energy, it's all great, but it's not working constructively to the relationship or what you're trying to achieve. It's, it's easy, particularly if you're passionate about something, 
very easy to get into that space and suddenly you're into the uh, really the, you're out of that listening sort of mode so you miss things you don't, you do. so you don't ask those questions and get perceptive which is what you need to be bit of a generalization but uh, women tend to be better listeners mm. and for men I think you know having a having a spouse or a wife or a partner to tell you to shut up occasionally is probably a good technique or good tool as well they're, yeah, yeah they're, they're the ones who can do it. It can be difficult for another team member or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, it takes a lot of guts to... I think the reason why we don't listen often is we don't have the courage to get the feedback because we're so attached to our own ideas or our own sense of importance and there's, there's a part of us, there's this little fearful part saying, oh, if I listen to what that person says, I might have to change my position or admit that I'm wrong. Yes, and it takes a big yeah. person to say, I'm, I was actually wrong here and I'm going to change my position because I think what you're suggesting here is a better way. So an easier way is I just don't want to listen to you. I suppose that this is what you must come across regularly from the point of view of the franchise relationship is that the franchisor or their, or their, their agent or you know, team member perhaps doesn't want to hear the criticism or the bad news because they know they're going to have to try and address it. Mm. So it's a little bit of ignorance, really, just sort of trying to put it under the carpet. Yeah, that's right. And and that can have a very uh, very negative effect on the relationship um, fairly quickly. And well, people uh, don't feel respected if they don't feel listened to. And one of the probably I put it at near the top when you look at what a human beings need to be happy and content, and one of them is they they need to feel respected. They need to feel they're being taken seriously. Mm, mm. And uh, a way to help someone to get that sense is to listen to them. So do you advocate getting processes in place fairly early in the in, in the early days of the establishment of the franchise system to uh, make sure that these areas are uh, are approached and um, and handled properly? Yeah, I think two things. Uh, you need to have processes in place, yep, like meetings where people can, um, you know, talk about stuff, uh, feel, you know, we call them a field visit where someone comes out and visits the franchisee in, in their premises, um, you know, conferences, surveys are good. Um, we, have, we have a survey that we've constructed that gives the franchise all some really good data on how their franchisees are feeling about important things. So that's all good. Uh, but the other thing is you, you need to have the people with the, the right sort of approach and to have the right culture in your company and that's not a process or a system, that, that more comes from the leader. Mm. So if the leader is setting the right example of um, not, you know, sometimes we need to get over ourselves a bit and you know you see, you see some leaders take themselves so seriously and they're so pompous. That, that's really not a good example to set for the rest of your team. Uh, a good franchise leader is someone who's down to earth, um, <clears throat> happy to have a joke, you know, on himself or with the franchisees, takes the business seriously, but um, is, you know, is happy to change their mind in the face of good evidence. Mm. I can certainly um, uh, recall a number of examples where groups have grown and the group expands and suddenly the franchise all goes through, it's almost a, a change of character, ego suddenly takes over, they start to believe all the publicity and they lose that communication with the people that were, they sort of, um, you know, had the brand passion and there were people that got the business moving in the first case and uh, 
that were really, um, I suppose, the cornerstone. The PR, PR is very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And, it can, yeah. and it can start to unscramble yeah. very quickly. So it's something to be conscious of, isn't it? I think with anyone who's using... Look, PR is a great tool for marketing. It's probably the most cost-effective way to get your brand out there and get some good messages out there. But we've got to be, be real, you know. Like, <laughs> don't start believing your own PR. I mean, it's usually written by yourself. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think, again... A spouse is a good way to keep you grounded, actually. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. That or a part, a business yeah. partner, or someone you you have. Well, you've you've, you've got a good chin. team around you, good team of staff. You've got a good culture. They should um, have the opportunity occasionally to to tell you the truth. And I suppose that's where internally in the business, as you grow, some sort of re regular sort of meetings and sort of SWOT analysis, just looking at saying how are we going with our relationships, you know, with everybody yeah. and so on. Yeah. The main yeah. thing is that it's all done with respect. Mm. Like mm. because our purpose is to grow our business and look after our customers and achieve our goals. And I think if we just keep coming back to that, it's a pretty honourable and pr pretty good, good place to come from when, when you're making decisions or having conversations. And I suppose we're leading in there um, to the fact that in order to build these teams of people, whether you're talking about team members, employees, partners, franchisees, and indeed their staff, that it's making sure that you do get the right sort of people involved. So perhaps could you just refer a little bit to the processes there for the selection of franchisees? Um, well, what I'll do, Brian, I'll talk about selection of franchisees, but also the franchise or team as well. Yeah, by all means. Yeah, you know, dovetailing as you see fit. Yeah. But I think, you know, in, in selecting the franchisees, look, you, you, there's two elements to this. You need a recruitment strategy where you're attracting people to um, inquire about your franchise opportunity. So that's where PR is very, you know, very useful. Your good website, good information, testimonials and so on. Uh, and then you need a, a way of screening who, who seems to not be suitable uh, to join our group. So you need to be able to screening out for bad, bad traits or attributes. And they would be things like, you know, we touched on earlier, someone who really doesn't have an interest in the product or service or the business, they just see it as another business opportunity. Um, that can be a bit of a negative omen. Uh -huh. um, another thing would be people who are arguing with you early on about thinking, you know, they've got ideas on how they can improve the system before they've even got in and learnt the system. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we, we say the best predictor of future behaviour is past behaviour. Uh, uh. So if someone's sort of pushing uh, the, the envelope early on, you're probably going to have uh, a pretty testy relationship and you've got to ask yourself, do you, do you want that or can you afford that? Uh. People who um, are not going to be hands-on, I, th I think, unless your concept can be operated by a passive investor, I think that, that's also a trap. So uh. um, selling to someone who's going to put in a manager or some staff to run the business for them if you know that your business needs hands-on operators to run, you've got to be very clear up front about what role the franchisee is going to have in the business. The attitude of the spouse is very important. So you need to, um, I would suggest, have um, the partner or the spouse involved in at least one of the pre-meetings, find out how they feel about um, the business, what role they're going to play, if, if any, in the business. I don't think they need to be physically involved in the business. In fact, in some cases, it's better if they're not. But they need to sort of have that support for it. 
and and feel positively inclined to the fact that they the family might be borrowing money because if the, if the spouse is negative um, and reluctant it's going it's like um, trying to run a marathon with with a ball and chain around your foot it's going to slow you down and eventually some people just give up yeah yeah whereas on the other hand if you've got a spouse running next to you saying this is great you keep going handing you the water bottle occasionally <laughs> you'll do the march you, you know you'll go the distance and it, yeah. it is the difference that makes the difference often you know i said earlier about brand passion being very important um one of the other attributes that, that's right up there is family and social support yeah yeah absolutely and and it's, that's important right at the beginning of the process before they've even someone's committed to buy a franchise. In fact, it's, uh, it all rolls into that same that same sort of uh, aspect, I suppose, of support yeah. and uh, and confidence. Having but at the end of the day, they're going to they're going to yeah. know clearly what they want. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. That, that having clear expectations and realistic expectations is very important. Mm. So I'd be asking them, look, tell me wh- wh- why why this particular franchise and what are you hoping to achieve. Now that's a good question to ask because you can then, um, you know, it's a good sales question. Any good salesperson would ask, you know, what do you like about the product, and then sort of build on those attributes. But also, if the person's got unrealistic expectations, it's very important to put them right early on because it's just going to come and bite you later on. Yeah. If someone's expecting to, you know, work maybe 30 hours a week or you know, and that's why they're buying the business because they want more flexibility or time off. And in reality, they're going to be 50, 60 hours a week in the business. They're going to be disappointed and angry later on. Or if they've got unrealistic expectations about the amount of money they're going to make, they're going to be disappointed later on. All right. Okay. I'm interested in the survey. And this, what I've got, the next question sort of leads into your study you did, I guess, to a degree. Yeah. Um, but from your experience, which is very, very broad, I mean, how many franchise companies do you reckon you've consulted to over the years? That's, that's a question without notice. But uh, Yeah, no, we, we would have worked with well over 500 different franchise brands. Oh. And sometimes we don't do a lot of consulting work as such. We We more work with... Uh, in an educational capacity with, mm. with groups. So we might go in and run a you know a two or three day workshop with the management team um, and listen you know to their challenges and give them some tips and so on. Uh, the traditional consulting work that a lot of uh, people get into in franchising is more setting up franchise systems, mm. and we don't we don't do that. We work more with people who are up and running. Yeah. But no, we, we would have worked with uh, well over 500 different brands mm. all over yeah. the world. So, you, so in pulling that sort of knowledge together, mm. um, and over, around the world is interesting because, as you say, there are similarities, but you do pick up some different characteristics from place to place, so yes. just as you do from state to state, don't you? People's people, People's sort of attitudes and influences do vary a bit. Yeah. Um, so what do, you, what do you think that a franchisee wants from a franchise or when, when they, you know, when, I suppose at the, the beginning of the process, what, what's, what really is their expectation? What else um, do they want? I think um, they, they want to have tools and uh, processes and guidance on how to build the business, how to grow the business. Um, they're looking for, and that leads us into marketing, you know, some, some tools, advice, around how to attract customers and that a lot of franchisees tell us the reason why they're attracted to a certain brand um, brand is the brand they, mm-hmm. they love the brand and the strength and the the brand awareness in the community so that's something they want they want good leadership 
from the franchisor, someone who's going to say, look, this is the direction we're going in, this is why we're doing it, and this is how we're going to get there. It's very yeah. important. Yeah. Uh, they want one of the um, you know recurring complaints we get from franchisees who are not happy is this sense they're not being listened to or respected. So it's coming back to what we were talking about earlier. So respect, keep keeping them you know informed about what's going on, uh, encouraging them to um, network with each other, setting up meetings and conferences and so yeah. on. Yeah. And uh, finally. Just making sure that whatever support you're giving is relevant to their level. So, so if somebody has been in the system for five years, mm -hmm. they would need a different type of support than somebody who's been in the system for six months. Because they've been through that, I suppose, through that e-factor process. And so they're, they're understanding how the business works and yeah. what, what, what the business contributes to them and what they, I suppose, what they do on their, on their part is... Uh, at a different level of understanding. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So um, as people get more experience, they, they value benchmarking information and you know, information on the finances and key performance indicators. I might just interrupt once again. Um, uh, there's a bit of background noise there. I appreciate phones ringing in the background. If anyone hasn't pressed star six yet, if you could just do that, be conscious if you have already done it, don't do that because it will unmute you. But just hit star six if you could so we don't all pick up the, the background noise. Sure. Thanks very much indeed. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's excellent. So let's, let's look at the other side of the coin um, quickly, I guess. Uh, your clients are the franchisors yep. that you're working for. So what, what are they looking for, you know, in essence, when, when they're looking at getting franchisees and building their business through a franchise model? Sure. Um, well, they want the franchisee to take responsibility for the business, um, to be in there, manage their staff, look, make sure that the customers are having a great experience in the business. Franchisor can't do there that. There are 10 anymore. parties in conference. Ah, you still there? Yeah, certainly. Okay. Um, the second thing is they want the franchisee to give them the benefit of the doubt if they're rolling out a new initiative to oh, give it a go. Yep, you know, often yep. franchisees will say, well, I don't want to do it. Mm. It's going to cost me money. Or, um, so, you know, get behind things, I think, is, uh, is what a lot of franchisors tell us they'd love their franchisees to do more yeah, of. Help them in, in taking it through that pilot or that trial stage to get yeah. the product improved, yeah. Yeah, and mm. if, if, there, if there's evidence there that, uh, you know, the customers are wanting this particular service, whatever it is, or change, to listen to the research and to take it on board. Yeah. Um, the, the third thing would be, you know, just maintain high standards in terms of how they're running the business. Um, you know, often franchisors will talk about the importance of compliance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if one franchisee is delivering sloppy, a sloppy experience to the customer, it actually affects everybody else because mm. customers talk to each other and the brand can get a bad name from, from one bad operator. Uh, the, the next area would be to make sure the franchisee is giving them uh, financial data so they can be monitoring how profitable and um, you know the group is going. So if someone's not going too well with their key performance indicators, the franchisor can help them. Mm. But if they don't know, they can't help. Yeah. Yep. And finally, just it comes back again to where we, we started. We seem to be coming back to this about listening, be, be pleasant to deal with, um, be respectful in your interactions. 
you know, like the field consultants or the field managers who are going out visiting franchisees often get a hard time. Yes. You know, franchisees <laughs> can take out their frustrations on this poor person who's yeah. just rocked up to help. Yeah. Uh, so I think just remember that uh, you're dealing with other people, they have feelings and they have families and treat, treat people like you'd like your family to be treated. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, that, that comes around then. Uh, what I'd like to do is just mention, um, uh, from Greg's point of view, that they do have a number of programs that are available um, at the Franchise Relationship Institute. And I, I do recommend you go to the website. I'll send a link to it out to everyone, but it's very simply the Franchise Relationships Institute, and I, I'm pretty sure if you just Google Greg Nathan, You'll get uh, you'll get yeah, that the on the homepage is, as well. The website is franchiserelationships.com. Right, and, and uh, uh, there there's a shop. People can buy you know copies of the books and things. We've sold over sixty thousand copies of some of those books. Wow, that, that's, uh, and that's, that's just through word of mouth because people read them, re recommend them. They're very useful and very practical. Well, I, I was just going to uh, to mention that I've I've got I've got uh, recently actually we bought some new copies, but I had some very very tatty ones I've had for donkey's years. Uh, the franchisee factor, which has been, I think, mine's in the fourth edition, mm. so that's been been changed over the years. But it's just, it's it's a, it's a sort of a hundred-page book that's absolutely invaluable. What I like about Greg, in the same way as he's been giving us these concise descriptions, is it's not full of unnecessary clutter and wordage, which some some business books can tend to be. Mm. Um, so that's a key book. But there's another called Profitable Partnerships, which uh, I, I think again. It's titled Improve Your Franchise Relationships and Change Your Life. Uh, again, I think, as with the E-Factor, the sooner you read that, um, the better. So it's something is on our recommended reading list before people actually commence the franchise cycle. Sure. Um, get an understanding of it. And then once you do look a bit further down the track, um, there are several other publications, but one is Improving Field Visits, which... Uh, gives a lot of that, ideas. That's good for established franchisors who are going out supporting their franchisees, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can you, you understand the whys and the wherefores and how to overcome some of these challenges and so on. Um, uh, we've, actually, I've been sort of dovetailing in a number of questions that people have put forward while we've been talking. Mm -hmm. um, well, one, one from, a, I suppose, a down-to-earth practical sort of uh, point of view from, from your experience, initially a franchisee, then senior roles with a franchisor, then moving into, you know, psychology and, and, um, and the Franchise Relationships Institute, what do you see as the benefits for a, a small chain operator who's maybe got, you know, three or four outlets of a particular sort of business and they're looking at maybe going into franchising? What, what would you see would be the benefits and the challenges from the point of view of their, they're basically going to have to, their team and employees may, and managers may well become Franchisees or members of the, you know, of the new group. Yeah, I think the the thing to re recognise that it, that it is a long term commitment that you, you you're taking on. Um, it'd be like a, you know if you were to adopt a child. It's not like something you're just going to play with for a while and give back. Mm. So mm. you know if you're thinking of bringing in franchisees, you are bringing in these people for for the long term. They are signing a five or a ten year agreement with you, and that's going to bring with it uh, responsibilities. And so you've got to ask yourself, am I up for it? Um, and it's all very well to take the money up front. A lot of, you know, there are consultants out there that will say, you know, paint a picture, it's all very easy, you can expand using other people's money. 
but there's a whole other side to this. When somebody gives you their money, they're going to expect something in return. And if you don't deliver, and if you're not committed to the long term, you're going to get yourself into hot water further yeah. down the track. Because people will get angry and they will sue you if you are in breach of promises that you've made. Yeah, and quite reasonably so, I believe. So I think it's like go in, um, go in carefully, think it through. I think also people often underestimate the amount of money they need to invest to get the infrastructure right for, for a franchise system. So they need to get a good consultant with good experience and who's going to take them on the journey and make sure that things are done properly. If you start making stuff up you know, as you go, mm. um, again, you, you may start making mistakes at the expense of the franchisees. They're not going to be very impressed with that. Um, the other thing is make sure that the pilot, you know, you've got at least three or four pilot operations that are making money mm. and that, you know, you've pressure tested this. Um, franchisors need to be very strategic and looking down the pipe, you know, three to five years down the, the track, what's happening with the internet, how is that affecting customers. I think a lot of franchise systems are going to get into trouble over the next three years because they're not giving enough thought to how the internet is um, impacting on their customer offer. Yeah, look, I think the same goes for probably 80% of conventional bricks and mortar businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it, it's happening at an at a amazing pace and uh, yeah. most people don't really understand it. it it's hard to keep, get on top of, I must say. There's a lot, lot involved, but you, it's essential you have someone to do that for you. And that, that's where a franchisee looks towards the franchisor to actually look after that big picture, develop yeah, that's systems going forward and so on. Yeah, yeah so as you say, that's that strategy. And the key thing there, I suppose, is, from my experience particularly, is, is implementation because uh, there's a bad habit of having your annual conference and lots of rah, rah and new plans and programs um, that are uh, being developed and, and so forth. Uh, and then they're not, they don't happen. Three months, six months down the track, all we've had is a rah, rah from the franchisor um, all it's these new plans and products and it hasn't happened sort of thing. Yeah, so they, in fact, they're, they're more of a negative thing mm. than anything else. Did you want to take any questions from anyone, Brian? Yeah, certainly. And, and I just will mention quickly, you, there's also workshops you do several a year, I think, around the country, aren't there, where people can attend and, and in, a, in a group environment learn sure, quite a lot of Sure, our next one will be on multi-unit franchising and we get uh, people who are running, uh, both franchisees who are running multiple units. They might have five or three stores coming together and also their franchisors and we're sharing ideas and how to make that work better because that's, that's a trend. Yeah. Mm, it is. Yeah, and that's certainly something I'd recommend people do. And again, you can see access, information on that on the website as well as access to the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the franchisee psychology material and so mm. forth. So let, let's do that. Let's open the lines. And uh, if there's anyone with unanswered questions, and what I'd ask is you just, um, uh, if there's a queue, we'll just select them one at a time. Just hit star six and just uh, introduce yourself and um, I'll welcome you aboard and you can raise your question and we'll answer it from there. So if anyone does have a, a question, just hit star six to get live and uh, we'll take it from there. I promise if anyone asks a question, I'll make you look a genius. <laughs> G'day, it's Rod here. Can I ask a question, please? Yeah, certainly, Rod. Far away. Um, yeah, look. Uh, we've got a, a business that's in the safety business, safety, first aid, and fire training. It's a, we're actually a registered training organisation. Uh -huh. So we have pretty strict rules on how we conduct our business. Uh -huh. 
compliance is a big issue. And the idea of franchising the business, you know, invites a whole lot of problems. For example, uh, any licensee that we put on has to comply with all the regulations that we have to comply with. Yep. So we find it pretty difficult to uh, replicate ourselves. Um, do you have any ideas about that? Hmm. Uh, well, it sounds like you've got good systems in place, which is, which is uh, I'd say, well done. Um, I think it is possible to repli replicate yourself, but it, but it does come back to uh, selection and training. So I think if people come in with realistic expectations of what you need them to do and having discussions up front around the level that you need to get them to, and, you know, appreciating that they won't be there initially and then having in place coaching and learning programs to take them on the journey. I think testing is very important, uh, like in any learning or training, to, to be checking in to, to make sure people do understand and both the knowledge and the skills that you're requiring them to, um, to practice. Um, Greg, can, can I just maybe cut through there if you don't mind? Sure. Because um, we have got a couple of people on board that we call licensees who operate under our, our brand. Our brand yeah. is MediLife, by the way. We're a, um, you know, as I say, first aid safety training company. Mm. Um, but um, the way we've managed the, the compliance side is that we do all the administration. So from the point of view of taking, uh, right from the word go, from taking initial inquiries, through to bookings and confirmations and issuing certificates and recording student records, which is you know in mm. itself a, a, sure. a nightmare. Um, so we've taken on board all the administration side of it, which mm. the idea was to leave them free to do the to sell and deliver. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, so, but what that means though is that a lot of the profit that a franchisee or a licensee could make is eaten up in the administration. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I might just hop in there because, um, if you don't mind, that, that's where you need to do your homework before you get the ball rolling and that comes down to doing not just your French, ideal franchisee profile and making sure they complete their personality tests and so forth, but in looking at the model, it's a matter of running through what the tasks are, in other words, the ones you currently handle at your, your head office, what you see and through the whole business and then looking at where you where you, where you break them, where the, where the line is between franchisor and franchisee, and then you've got to start applying that to some budgets so that you can see fairly simply that both elements of the relationship are profitable. Um, it's a mistake uh, as often, has been made in the past by a lot of companies that have franchised and made an assumption that everybody charges 7% for their, you know, their ongoing royalty fees or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't suit their business, so sometimes it might be a fixed fee, um, and that will impact on the the quality of person you need and their skill sets and so forth. So um, that's my little snap on that. I'm happy to chat to you about that, Rod, offline. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Greg? No, I think I, I think where Rod was going, was it, Rod, you, you were saying that the is the model profitable enough for everybody? Especially for the franchisee because, as I say, a lot of it's consumed in the administration side and, like you just said, Brian, they have an expectation of, you know, 5% or 7% and yeah, we're talking 30% um, and it sort of kills the, the enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah well you need, to, you need to be explaining the benefits of what you're offering 
and just keep reminding them that the, the reason you've structured the business this way is to free them to, so the, to, do, mm. to, to grow the business. The analogy I drop back to on that one is the classic, really, is Jim's mowing. Jim very cleverly, you know, was running his own lawn mowing business with a handful of subcontractors, switched to a franchise, but he did, um, he does all the quoting on the phone, he manages the overall process so that his lawn mowing contractors, or franchisees rather, all they do is execute the business on site. So they are creating income all the time. And the reason I mention that is, as well, seeing a lot of groups, particularly where they've converted as well from being established maybe with three or four or five outlets, and don't underestimate, you may get one of your managers takes a franchise or new people come in, don't underestimate how much more income they'll generate because they've got, the classic expression is sort of, you know, skin in the game. They've got a financial commitment and it's amazing to see examples of the amount of business they create because they do have that, that incentive because they are just, I suppose, they have that brand passion and that determination to grow with their goals and so on. So um, those are all parts to build into your model and that, that's important in the franchising program to evaluate that and uh, working in with your accountant or you may have staff you can do it some spreadsheets where you can play around with those figures um, is a key element mm -hmm. okay um, yeah, I'm happy to have a chat to you if you, if you give, give me a call or drop me an okay. email happy to pursue that a bit further because it, it's a big question but there's a lot of inf interesting information and if there's a group of people interested in that I can always put a webinar up and we can have a bit of a, a group sort of uh, chat about it Okay. Thank you. That's a pleasure, Rob. Thanks for the question. Any other questions out there at all? No, that's great. Well, look, I'd like to say thanks very much indeed, Greg. Really appreciate it. There's a wealth of knowledge there. So, Hello, um, Brian. Hello. Hey, this is Glenn Coffin. Oh, Glenn, hi there. You have a question for Greg? Yes, I do, please. And I'm interested. I've got, um, I can foresee similar <laughs> issues uh, to what Rod's experiencing. And uh, so, yeah, I'd be interested in uh, talking further about that as well. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, but, uh, but even if Rod's prepared to give his details, I wouldn't mind having a chat with him, actually, please. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll make a note of that on a follow-up email. Anyone else that's interested, we can always get a little bit of a form going because it's a, it's, a, it's a key area I've got a passion about, making sure you get it right from the start. It's so much easier. And, and ensuring that profitability is there for both. both. But, uh, so if there's anyone else that would like to join in that forum, Please contact me. Otherwise, um, yep. Thanks yeah. again, Greg. This I, 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 I had a, a question for Greg. Oh, I uh, beg your pardon. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Hi, Greg. Um, hi, Glenn. Yeah. A question. You, you mentioned that uh, it would be um, a good a uh, good method to have three or four pilots uh, at the at the initial stage. Now, what uh, what benefits would you get with three or four pilots as, as uh, opposed to running perhaps one? So yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, a good question. Thanks, Glenn. Um, look, markets are different, and sometimes you can fluke uh, a business model that works in one market without realising that it's a lot of it's got to do with the demographics, perhaps of the customers you're serving. So I think that's the reason. Uh, the, the, the other reason why you probably want to run more than one is to see whether somebody other than yourself can can make a go of it, so you might put a manager in to uh, another one or another couple and make sure that it's not just your own grunt and experience that's driving the success and your own intuition, it's, it's the systems that are actually working. So that's the reason why you'd, you'd want to run a few. Okay. 
Okay, thanks. Thanks for that question, Glenn, and thanks, Greg. What I'll do, I don't want to keep Greg any longer than I promised him, so we're pushing the boundaries here, is to thank him very much indeed. Um, and Greg, if you need to just drop off the line, you, sure. you're more than welcome. I'll be in touch and so forth. Thank you. But uh, just for people on the line, I'd like to just say that um, <coughs> we've got some, some exciting news next month. Excuse me. Next month, I've managed to entice John O'Brien, who's the CEO of Poolworks. Poolworks is a company I refer to quite often in my discussions with people, and um, he's developed his business from basically three mobile vans in 1996 to being the largest swimming pool and spa service organisation in Australia with some 300 outlets and about 60 or 65 hubs that retail sort of uh, warehouse hubs that they feed out from. So John will be sharing with us a lot of information. The, the title of his, uh, his talk is 15 Near-Death Experiences in Small Business Franchising. So if that's not a tickler for you, then I don't know what is. So um, if anyone um, like to make a note of that, that will be... Uh, That'll be on the, I'll, I'll send a note out with my follow-up email, but it's, I haven't got the date right in front of me this very second, but it's the Tuesday before, East, before Christmas, so I think it's something like 11 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time on the 20th of December, but I'll circulate that. Um, does anyone else, uh, while we're there, have any further questions that I can help with at all? No, we've exhausted those. Well, what I'd like to do is just thank everybody for coming on board. I hope you found it worthwhile and enjoyable. I've certainly enjoyed the experience. And the, there will be, as I say, a copy of the, uh, the uploaded recording available if you'd like to listen to it a bit further. So thanks very much indeed, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for making the time to come on board. Bye. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.